Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome back to the Psych Legal Pop podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about popular culture through the lens of an attorney and a therapist. I'm Brooke Brigham, and I'm the attorney. And I'm Tess Brigham. I'm the therapist. So today we are going to talk about the Murdaugh murders. We spent about five minutes before we started debating. Do we say Murtaugh? Murdoch? Yeah. (laughs) How do we pronounce this last name? The pronunciations of this guy's name are all over the place. I don't think anybody really knows the proper pronunciation. And I don't think the people in the family do either. Well, I heard him. He was in court and they asked him to state his name. And he said, Alexander Murda. Okay. Okay. But I think that's with a Southern accent. So if you take out the Southern accent, it's probably Murdaugh. Murdaugh. It's not Doc, like people have been saying. There's no OCK in there. Um, And yeah, his name's Alexander, but sometimes... People call him Alec, but it's really Alex. It's really Alex. So that's also weird, too. Whatever. You know who we're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I also have another question that maybe is really a stupid question, but what is low country? Explain that to me. What is low country? Low country. Now, this is very rudimentary. (laughs) And ironically, (laughs) our mother's mother is from Beaufort, South Carolina. She is. Yes. And so she was born and raised there in the low country. And then she hightailed it off to college (laughs) to New York City. Well, it was very scandalous because she married our grandfather, who was a foreigner and a Yankee. A Yankee foreigner. A German immigrant. Yeah. And Jewish. But they did. (laughs) But they did like him. (laughs) But he. No, they did not like him. Oh, they did not like him. I thought they kind of liked him towards the end there. After maybe in the beginning they didn't like him. Oh, in the beginning they pretty much disowned her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was not popular, but I don't think she cared for it there. Yeah. But anyway, the, the low country is this area on the coast of South Carolina where, you know, normally we're used to beaches and coastlines here mm-hmm. where the, the, the water just meets the land, mm-hmm. you know, but this is a coastline where the water 
between the ocean and the land, there's kind of like this area that's kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of swampy. It's Mm -hmm. got these rivers and it's got islands and the islands, you know, have been built up to be connected by bridges and people live on these different islands. Mm -hmm. And, but, but it's, it's surrounded by this waterway of rivers and, you know, it's to me, it looks, I don't, I don't mean to be offensive. I don't know how else to explain it. It kind of just looks like, like swampy, Mm -hmm. like these islands in a swamp. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, but it's it's a whole culture. Like there's this old, I think it's called the Gullah culture that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, see, I always thought all of that was connected to Louisiana and New Orleans and, but I guess I'm wrong. I mean, it could be, there could, I think they have a similar type of, Mm -hmm. um, because yeah. the bayou, the bayou, and all of that, and right? That, you know, but it's different than the culture in South Carolina. Yeah, but yeah, they call all these communities, you know, on the coast there, the Low Country. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I don't know how they're not underwater with global warming. I yeah, mean, it's you know, I mean, they're very um, on, you know. Out okay, there. well, that's good to know because I kept thinking, like, what do they mean by Low Country? Like, do they mean Low Country meaning the South? <laughs> like, are we talking about the whole mm-hmm. United States and the South? We're talking about look, yeah. So now that makes a lot yeah, of sense. See? It's that section of we are uh, learning something already. That section okay. of South Carolina. So anyway, um, yeah. So there's this family, the Murdaws, who, um, you know, for a hundred years or so, their family basically ruled Hampton County, which mm-hmm. is one of the counties down there, and they were very, very powerful. They, um. They held the, the position of solicitor. So um, Alex's great grandfather was the first. It was um, Randolph Senior, mm-hmm. starting in 1920. He was the solicitor of the 14th Circuit, Hampton County, and basically a solicitor is a prosecutor or a district attorney, and. Um, Then his son became the next uh, Randolph Sr. I mean, excuse me, Randolph Jr., who they called Buster. Buster, yeah. Um, And then Alex's father was Randolph III, and he was the last to serve as solicitor. Alex never made it to be a solicitor. Okay, so explain this. This is the other thing that I'm very confused about. So they're solicitors. So in is it in the low country in Hampton County, the way it works is they don't have... DAs and prosecutors. Well, that's just what they call their prosecutors. Okay, so it's their solicitors. But here, when you're a DA, you don't also have a private practice where you're taking on other cases, right? You're only, your sole job is prosecuting. And so in this situation, you can be a solicitor or a prosecutor, but you and your firm can take on anything else like i'll take on the other side i can take on this side i mean it just kind of feels like the way it works is if you're if if you're an attorney you can kind of do you can be on both sides you can do civil and criminal and which i know that attorneys now can do civil and criminal it's just not people usually pick a lane and stay in it well yeah and i you know i don't understand quite how this came to be because it's full of conflicts Mm -hmm. obviously because yeah you have you have a solicitor who's deciding who gets charged with a crime and what crime and are they going to get the death penalty and all this stuff. And meanwhile, their family members are working in this big law firm. Mm-hmm. And also, so the way that the um, solicitors get picked 
there, uh, excuse me, the way the judges get picked, the judges are not elected. The solicitors are elected, mm-hmm. but judges are not elected. They're basically picked by the General Assembly, which is like their legislature, which is just a bunch of lawyers. Yeah. I mean, this is a very small community, you know, so yeah. So people are moving around like in between, you know, this law firm that was started by the Murdoch family. Um, so you got people working in in the same family, working in the law firm, mm-hmm. working as the solicitor and probably judges too. I mean, they, they're working it from all sides. Mm-hmm. And so it's very cozy and, you know, exchanging favors. And the judges are beholden to these lawyers, not the people. They're yeah. not elected by the people. Um, so they controlled the law by representing people and but also prosecuting people in a way to help manipulate the outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, they just had their hands on everything. Yeah. You know, all these these deals, whatever. So so they were a very, very um, powerful, to say the least, family and, you know, wielded their power quite freely. And, you know, people were afraid of them and mm-hmm. knew that if they crossed them, then that was not going to be good. And so they pretty much got away with whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. Well, in the beginning of the first episode of the Netflix documentary, they kind of do the beginning of the episode of episode one talks. They kind of give you a little bit of an overview. Mm -hmm. And one person says there's five bodies in six years tied to this family. Yeah. Which is insane when you think about it. And I've seen some other things that there have. It's not just these five bodies that there have been some more that are, you know, not even the ones that were covered in the Netflix because you know, it, there's lots of murders they cover in this Netflix documentary, mm. but apparently more from years and years and years ago. Well, yeah. And even murders that were sanctioned by the government, you know, the, the judge in in this murder trial, he said during the sentencing, he basically said for 100 years, your family has. Um, let me see if I can find the exact quote because it's so good. He says basically that for a hundred years, this family has, you know, sent people to death row and many of them for lesser crimes than mm-hmm. what Murdaugh was just convicted of. So, you know, yeah, that says it right there. So, yeah, they've they, they've killed a lot of people they have. <laughs> in and out of the, the legal system. Yeah. Allegedly. All right. So do you want to just sort of dig into the Netflix sure. or do you have any prior anything else to mention Well, no, let's just i mean I, we can talk about things as they come up yeah but um basically this starts out with talking about um paul paul murdaugh who was the younger son so um alex was married to maggie mm-hmm. they had two boys paul and then one who they called buster i'm not sure what but his, i think what is his legal name i don't know it's, it's got to be either alexander or randolph like it seems, yeah. I think it's like Randolph Alexander. I think everybody who's named Randolph goes by Buster. And um, a friend of mine, Lisa's from Georgia. And anytime she talked about, I mean, these names are so, these Southern names, like Rhett, there was Doc, there was this person, mm. that person. There was always these crazy names nicknames. that you're like, nicknames yeah. that people had that were bizarre. So the, the they first focus on Paul, who at the time it looked like he was in high school when, yeah. when they started well, telling his story. Yes. And a lot of the story is told by his former girlfriend. 
Morgan. Um, Morgan. And, you know, these, so there was a group of kids. There was Morgan and Paul, and then there was um, Mallory and Anthony were a couple, and then Connor and Miley were a couple. And yeah. Connor and, were Connor and Anthony cousins? Yeah, and Miley and Mallory were like were best, best friends, friends from yeah. pre-K. Then Morgan comes in, then Paul and Tony are friends. So these are all people that have known each other for forever since they were little kids. It seems like Morgan was sort of the one kind of sort of outsider whose family's from Long Island. Oh, yeah, she moved there later. And she must have moved there when she was like in junior high or beginning of high school. Yeah. Um, so, but they were all this interconnected friends and they were these three couples essentially that right. spent time hung together out and lot. hung out together. And Paul, let's just be quite frank, he drank like excessively. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, all the time, just and the parents blackout drunk. Oh, yeah. and the parents didn't the care. Parents were fine with there it. There was no boundaries. Like all the parents drank with their kids, mm-hmm. partied with their kids. Morgan talked about they, they had this big watermelon festival just mm-hmm. in um Hampton County. And the law firm, um, which is this big, huge grand building, would uh sponsor it and they'd open up the she said they'd open up the back door and all the teenagers would come in and and the the uh adults would just start Alec uh, being one of yeah, them. Yeah, Alec being one of them. The adults would just start giving them booze. Mm-hmm. And so it was encouraged. And and Paul was a big, big heavy drinker. And he um, was a mean drunk. Yes. Like a really nasty drunk. Well, we learn about, yeah, because we, we, Morgan talks about this, that they had these very different families, very different experiences that when she started dating Paul, that they had, you know, a tremendous amount of money and they would go to these basketball games. They would go... Two vacations, they would go here, they would go there, like anywhere. But and it was always centered around heavy, heavy duty drinking and heavy duty drinking by Paul. Um, And they um, they said that when and Paul's kind of life, Morgan gets into this right. Paul's childhood, his life is very sad, you know, Mm -hmm. when you hear it, that. He, his mother, what didn't seem very interested. His mother in him. favored Buster. Buster didn't really like Paul. Paul was the one who, and I have some other feelings about Buster, but but Paul was the you know the the younger kid who I think my guess would be was maybe a little more sensitive mm-hmm. and a little bit sweeter, and he was essentially raised by their housekeeper, which we'll get into Gloria. that. Gloria and and Gloria was his mother in mm-hmm. many ways, and. But if you can imagine here's a kid who, you know, uh, who has had, you know, just seeing where his life went, you're like, okay, yeah, I can, I can see that. Cause Paul didn't have a chance. Well, yeah. Cause he Mor- really didn't. Morgan said that he, Paul was the black sheep. He was mm-hmm. a, considered a disappointment. Maggie was detached from him. She, but, I mean, and, but the kid's like 14, 15. Oh, How I know. can you be a disappointment exactly. at 14, 15? You're just in I high know. school. Like, what disappointment? Well, and Buster wanted to follow in his dad's footsteps. He went to law school. Um, although he was he was expelled yes. from the University of South Carolina. For plagiarism. For plagiarism. But was that law school or undergrad? Well, I, I just heard something today because I was listening to it on the way over that apparently... I thought that was in college, but apparently it was law school. Mm-hmm. Something happened in law school that got him kicked out. And that one of the jailhouse tapings that they had of Buster and Alec when he was behind bars was Alec was saying to Buster, 
hey, I worked it out for you. You still got connections to be able to go back to law school. Oh, of course. You can, you just need to keep your grades up in that. And apparently Buster told him, I don't know if I want to do this. Mm. So I think, I think the thing when we call disappointment is I think again, because Buster was also in high school too at this time. I think Buster played the game. I think yeah. Buster said, yeah, daddy, I want to be a lawyer just like you. Look at me go. And I think Paul, maybe the sweet, sensitive kid was like, maybe I don't want to do that. Well, I you know. think Paul was numbing. I think all oh, this God, dr- yeah. I think all this drinking was just pure numbing. Yes. And he was reckless and he was always getting in trouble. But when he got in trouble, all he had to do was call his grandfather Randolph and his dad and they showed up and they made it go away. Like they talked about even before the boating accident, a time where um he wrecked his truck and mm-hmm. Morgan was in the truck and she tried to call 911. He's like, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. And he, so he called his dad and his grandfather and his mom and they all came out, cleared out all the beer cans and all the guns. Apparently mm-hmm. there was a bunch of guns in the truck and cleaned it all up before the cops could get there. And I mean, can you imagine as a parent, mm-hmm. like your teenager? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, what chance do they have and why in the hell would, would you accept that? Well, and, and so that's why when you think about the death of Mallory Beach, it's like, this isn't on Paul's hands. This is on Maggie and yeah. Alec and this and entire Randolph, and Randolph and all of you. It's all on everybody. your hands. Not, not just for the way you handled it afterwards, but beforehand, because you had, you, there were so many moments in time. The, the Mallory thing didn't need to happen because there were time and time again where they could have reined that kid in and been like, here are the boat, give me the boat keys, give me the car keys, no phone, you know, go to rehab, go into a program, get some therapy, any of that. But that's not, that's our way of that, thinking. But also that would be too shameful. Yes. Like, but, and, but that's not their way of thinking. Their way of thinking is let's just cover it up and let's sweep everything under the rug yeah. and cover it up and make ourselves look good and then just keep plowing forward. Yeah. You know? As if nobody's noticing. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, so in 2019, this, uh, this is the fateful boat accident. And so the the six of them, the the three couples, they're going to an oyster roast somewhere out in in the low country. You know, they get on a boat. So that was another thing. Um, Alex and Maggie had a like a river house. They mm-hmm. called it, which Is was that Moselle. No, Moselle no. was their the big compound. their main the compound the oh, hunting okay. compound. But they lived, the they lived yeah. there. Yeah. So they had a river house that was on an island probably a private island, Mm -hmm. like on this river down in the low country near Beaufort. And Mm -hmm. I think the place when they went to the Oyster Roast, I think it was in Beaufort Mm -hmm. or or they stopped there on the way back and went to a bar. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing. It's like, okay, so they took the boat because apparently Paul knew that there was going to be road checks. Mm -hmm. So he wants to take the boat to escape the road checks. And so they're all drinking. Nobody, nobody, none of them could or should have been driving the oh, boat. Yeah. But they, you know, and then they stopped at a bar in downtown Beaufort. I mean, it's like, how old are these kids and yeah. how are they going to bars? Well, so, but, and they go back and show, so just really quickly, because there's so much information and so much to go through, but like just the dynamics of everything that was happening, because Morgan, Morgan's parents had no idea how Paul was treating her. Like, right. apparently he, had he was al- abusive. He was very abusive. He had an alter ego named Timmy. When when he drank, you know, he was a sweet kid. But when he drank, he became Timmy and he became just a raging, abusive mm-hmm. asshole. And so what happened was that Miley, who's one of the friends, 
Mallory's childhood friend said she hated Paul. She could mm-hmm. not stand Paul, but would endure it because of Morgan. And Mallory tolerated Paul. And then the other two guys, you know, that Paul was their friend, but they also hated this version <laughs> yeah, of why him. Why are they hanging so, out with So him? that was the other part of it, too. It's like, you know, but and I think Morgan also Morgan and Paul had been broken up at this point, but she was going back and forth like, you know, she couldn't leave him like he was. I think that he would do something awful. They would break up. And then I think he would come back, show his sweet side again, and she mm-hmm. would get caught up back into it again. And and again, these are 19 year old right. kids. I mean, they're 19 years old. But you can you can see a lot of video of them, video of them walking up to the boat and just the dynamic of you watching the whole group of how in love Tony and Mallory were, you know, obviously who knows what would have happened to them in the future, right? Like life is complicated. But at that one moment in time, you could see that Paul was like walking on his own, very, very drunk. Mallory and Tony are really in love. And then the other friends are just kind of trying to get home. You can see these, these dynamics so clearly in all the videos, but yeah, they take the boat out and then they finish at the oyster roast. They pack up. They all want to go home. All they want to do is go home. Everyone keeps trying to tell Paul, don't, don't drive the boat. Don't drive the boat. And then Paul and Connor insisted on going to this bar. And that's my other thing too. They're 19. So are they, so, but but we also saw on camera what was caught on camera was Paul before he even before the party began before they went to the oyster roast he used Buster's ID to get alcohol uh-huh. so he had they saw all of it like him with the alcohol they knew how him, much yeah, yeah that's the thing they knew how much he'd been drinking and that this is the really scary part is that you can tell people don't you know never ever get in a car or a boat or whatever yeah. with somebody's drinking but. these these guys they saw how much he was drinking and they knew it was wrong they knew they shouldn't have done it but they did it anyway and that's what is so scary and also look i've done some partying in my life Mm -hmm. i went to uc santa barbara okay (laughs) i'm not like some you know goody two shoes i was shocked at the level of drinking and partying and just sort of this like I mean, having access to a boat and just yeah. driving around and going here and going to a bar and doing but I think it. That's, the entitlement of this lifestyle or this this. But I think it's that lifestyle. But I also think, listen, you know, listen, someone can disagree with me if I'm wrong. But I also want to say that I the people that I've known over the years that are from that area, like there was a friend of my husband's who they're both from. Um, they're both from Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And for them. My husband would tell me stories of them like when they were in their younger years, but 30s, you know, early 30s, late 20s of like them making these big cups to go cups Mm -hmm. of like bourbon and Coke, you know, up like a big giant McDonald's cup of that and like taking it like a to go cup, you know, in the car and putting that. So I think that that is very culturally come at me if I'm wrong, but culturally, I think it's much more of sort of like how it is out here in the Bay Area where you can smell weed everywhere, kind of mm-hmm. like people are smoking weed and people kind of know and it's just like, nah, no one really cares. I think out there drinking and drinking and boating, drinking and driving, I think mm-hmm. all of that is very, very common. And I think because there are probably no buses or anything that are going to take yeah. you anywhere, I think th- that's... I doubt I, there's an Uber yeah, that goes out to... That this, whole roadie, that what it was called, yeah, like a roadie. a roadie. Like roadies are very common. And I'm not saying it's just out there, people do this everywhere. But I think there is something culturally about that atmosphere. But 
You've got 19-year-olds who nobody has a fully formed brain and... But I mean, giving giving kids booze inside oh, your fucking law firm? No, no, I, I I'm mean, not condoning that. No, that's terrible. I know, but it's shocking to me. And I feel, mm. I, that's what I'm saying. I feel like you know, I'm being a prude or something. And, and I'm, and I am not, you know, I mean, mm. I, you know, but I don't know, this is a whole nother level. Yeah, this is, but this is a whole other level. And I think that that's what Morgan and maybe these other kids saw too, because their parents weren't condoning this. It was Paul's parents that were condoning mm-hmm. it. And I think there is something when you're 17, 18, 19, whatever, and you can't legally drink yet, that there is some appeal to yeah, the parent that will let you, yeah. you know, do that. But anyway. All right. Anyway, well, let's, okay. So they, after going to this bar, they get in the boat. And I think at first somebody else was driving, but then Paul says, you know, this is my fucking boat. I'm going to drive, get out of my way. And they're telling him, no, you know, you shouldn't be driving, but he wouldn't take no for an answer. And so he started driving the boat and then started driving crazy and he would leave the wheel unattended. And, you know, one of the other guys would have to come in and take over and then he'd come back and make him, you know, leave. And he was just, you know, acting crazy. And then finally he, um, you know, he crashes the boat into but a right, bridge. But right before that, everybody who kept trying to, this was the other part of it too, with the other kids that I feel for them in that moment, which is, Everyone kept like Connor, Tony, they kept trying to interfere. They kept trying to grab it. And that Morgan said something to him and he turned around, spit in her face and slapped her. And Miley says that was it. Like Morgan could not, you know, that it was finally confirmed that this was happening because very quickly she told a story earlier where she talked about how they went to Buster's graduation. So this must've been to Buster's graduation. They were at a hotel. Paul was so drunk. He kept kicking her and then he got on top of her and tried to choke her, tried to choke her and then punched her really hard, like in the leg. I mean, it was bad, really, really bad. What What this girl was going through and her parents had, you know, poor parents are like, they had no idea, you know, the extent of it because she wasn't telling them. So So anyway, anyway. so anyway, people were trying to help, you know, they were trying to stop them. So he crashes into this bridge. Everyone goes flying except for, I think Morgan was the only one who didn't, uh, or maybe not. Some of them were, went flying out of the boat. Tony, remember the, because in the second episode, we hear from one of the heroes, the attorney for the beach family. And he talks about that because they get a forensic person Mm -hmm. to come in to do that. So Tony and Mallory went flying. They both went because they were in the back of the boat. They in the front of the boat. They were in the back of the boat. And so because the boat went up, they went flying out. Connor hits the side there. That's how he rips his cheek Mm -hmm. open. And then I think... Honestly, I think Paul had the least amount of injuries. Of course, it's always the drunk person. Paul and Miley, I think, who had the least kill someone, of but they're just fine. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So yeah, I'm I'm sure what happened. Mallory never came up. She probably hit her head and was knocked yeah, unconscious she hit her and, head drowned. and drowned. So um, Anthony, her boyfriend, is desperately searching for her, going underwater, trying to find her, and then you know finally the um, paramedics, you know whoever show up. And there's a part where uh, Anthony um, tells one of the police officers there, what does he say? He says, um, you know, talking about Paul, 
Because I think right away, Paul was trying to blame um, Connor. Connor for He was the one driving. And Anthony was telling the police officer, he's like, do you know who that is? He's like, do you know Alex Murdaugh? And he says, good luck. Because <laughs> knowing that, yeah, like mm-hmm. that, that, that Paul is not going to be held responsible for yeah. any of this. He's telling him this like at the scene. But yeah, he's already trying to. And, and Alec is the one who called. Okay, immediately Randolph and Alec show up mm-hmm. at the, um, I don't, I guess they show up at the hospital. They immediately tell, oh, Alec calls Connor's parents and tells them that Connor was driving. And um, Alex tried to get to Morgan. He tried to get inside mm-hmm. her hospital room. He was just saying, I, I'm a, I represent her. And she's like, keep that man away from me. And they were there. Randolph and Alex were there, like already trying to cover things up. Um, trying to get to the other parents. And um, and con- mind you, no one has called Mallory's right. parents. No one has informed them that their daughter is missing. And yeah. and 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 no one and Al and Alex and her father, nobody, they do not care about finding Mallory. No, they the don't want only her found. Person, like obviously the rescue team and the diving team, Tony, who keeps diving back in, yeah. you know, he they can't get him off that. Everybody else, every single person that was part of this is like, we have to find Mallory except for Paul and his, his father and his grandfather. Yeah. And they said that, um, Mallory had an Apple watch. They could have like, you know, pinged the Apple watch Uh to find her location. They could have done something. Yeah. They didn't want her to be found because if there's no body, no crime, then there's no crime. And it's just absolutely disgusting. And, Oh, but the nurse, you know what the other thing is? Cause Morgan's mom is a nurse Mm -hmm. and she's a nurse. So it was like, another nurse walked up to her and said like nurse to nurse here like we know each other you know that paul was a nasty drunk because all these stories start coming out that paul took they took him like 15 20 minutes at the scene to get paul just to get in the ambulance right he was i mean he must have been a goddamn nightmare they said his blood alcohol level was three times (gasps) the limit yeah unreal unreal so they show up they start they start getting it. And one thing that was really heartbreaking for Connor, which I really felt for him, which was Connor starts to panic. Like, oh, crap, they're going to put this on me. Yeah. And I am I going to go down for this or and then his other fear was, are they going to kill me? Right. Well, luckily, the Mallory's family hired this attorney, Mark Tinsley. Yes. Mark Tinsley and is the hero of this. He, He's my favorite person. He put together all the evidence to, to prove that Paul was the driver. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one who said that Paul knew there would be traffic stops, so he wanted to take the boat. Um, yeah. He hires the forensic engineer engineer um, to figure out the placements of the boat and where people would end up. Um and and this is where they get into that whole thing about they show the video of Paul buying the buying the alcohol. They show they show all of it. Mm-hmm. They show then they show the picture of him like funneling six natural light beers, which is so disgusting. Natural light. Um funneling all this alcohol, all of that. Yeah. And the police didn't even question Paul. Yeah. Never questioned. You know, they never questioned him. Um, all the wagons circled and came in and protected him. But yeah, because yeah, the lead investigator was this guy, Michael Brock. And Tony told Brock, Paul killed my girlfriend. He said that. Tony directly said to this Brock, this officer Brock, mm-hmm. Paul killed my girlfriend. And the audio recording wasn't in, in evidence. They just started burying evidence, anything at all. 
Um, Officer Michael Paul Thomas was another. He was a DNR agent. He's the best friend of Alex's brother, Mm -hmm. John Marvin. He was another investigator on the scene. And um, they called him the Murdoch's bitch. Yes. And then he starts calling this guy Austin Pritchard, who's interviewing the kids at the hospital. And then while all of these kids are in the hospital, the, they're, they're helping basically move the boat. So the boat is evidence. The boat mm-hmm. is, is the murder, you know, like this is part of this investigation. And the Murdoch family was able to go in and get the boat removed, like, like get rid of it yeah, or get onto it and, and get rid of evidence. Yeah. So Paul was charged, but you know, he was not arrested or booked until he he was 20 at the time but never in handcuffs never in the orange jumpsuit no, never had he, to spend a minute in, in in a jail cell they took when he was arraigned they took his picture his quote-unquote mugshot and while he's in a polo shirt you know in the courtroom um he, he it was a fifty thousand dollar bond well yeah which, which is, is nothing nothing that's five thousand dollars Nothing um, for these people. And basically everybody in the case had to recuse themselves, you know, like uh, pretty much like all the judges, prosecutors or whatever, because, yeah, yeah I mean, who is going to try this? Oh, well, the case? other thing is they show you this um, attorney for the beaches. They talk about the night of the crash and they go, they have all of the phone records of everybody. And it was all these calls from the Murtaugh's like calling each other, calling right. this officer, calling this. So, and Paul and, calling his parents and yeah, nobody all, calling the, the nobody police. calling Nobody calling the police and nobody calling Mallory's parents. Right. I mean, and so, and the Mallory's parents say that we never got a call from a police officer. No, they heard about it through uh, somebody. Some friends. And they had to drive down to Beaufort, not even knowing what they were going to find there, not even knowing where to go. And they said, just kept driving until they saw police cars. Yeah. And I mean, God, I mean, this is just. But I have to say this, this person that they hired, this biomechanical engineer, who use movements of the body and physics to figure out the positions of the people on the boat related to their injuries. We were talking about this. I was like, wow, that is amazing that there are people out there that can do that. Yeah. I'm like really impressed by well, all of it. That's you science. Know, that's science. Mm-hmm. Yes. I was just like, wow. Good old physics. So Paul pleads not guilty. Mm-hmm. And um, no trial data set. No, he's just kind of hanging around. So now we're we're into 2021. He's moved into a cabin on the Moselle estate, whatever you yeah. want to call he's it. Bro- and Morgan, this is enough. He's for still Morgan. partying. He's still partying like there's no tomorrow. He's and- still having run-ins with the law. Yeah, even yeah. though he's like um, out on bail for uh, you know homicide. Mm-hmm. Um, so or also, oh, and this was around the time where Buster was expelled for plagiarism too. Mm. So things aren't. So yeah, USC. So it's University of South Carolina for Mm -hmm. plagiarism. So, so he must've gotten in trouble. And so did he get in trouble in college and in law school? It seems like. Oh, for plagiarism. Yeah, probably. Who knows? I don't even know. But also around the same time, Maggie starts to realize that bills aren't being paid. Mm -hmm. And I think she's suspecting that something is up. She, um, consulted with a divorce lawyer she hired a forensic accountant so you so know, life is not good life is not good so this is early 2021 and then the murders take place on june 7th 2021 is it june 7th not july 7th i wrote that down wrong okay never mind i don't know i wrote june I don't okay know. no you could be right um 
So, <clears throat> what do I have here? So, yeah, I don't even know how to explain. So it's it's so hard. You know what it is? And I thought the Netflix documentary did a good job. What's hard is is that there's like there's okay, this is Alex's story, right? And then there's the okay, this is what then the police did. And then there's like, okay, then the people who are actually honest are going to come in and tell you what really happened. Right. Well, let's be clear from the beginning. Alex was not, um, you know, he was not arrested. He was not treated as a suspect. Mm -hmm. He law enforcement kind of went silent. Yeah. Like they kind of didn't know what to do. There were no press conferences. There was no, 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 like no information. You have a double murder on a, on a property and there's no like manhunt, like look out for this vehicle. You know, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? It was like the police were doing nothing or they didn't know what to do. Um, you know, he, he turns into a victim, you know, mm-hmm. his wife and his, his son are murdered and he's just kind of going about his, his business. And yeah, and he has this, what he thinks is this airtight alibi, you know, that he, uh, he says he took a nap, <laughs> which I thought was so weird. It's seven thirty at night. Why would you take right. a nap? Unless you are going to go to a rave that night, <laughs> there's no, no, most likely you're going to be like, I'm just going to power through and then go to bed at nine. <laughs> right. That's what I do. So he was napping during all of this. Then he woke up and he went to go visit his parents. And he told the, you know, the caregiver at one of their places, you know, Mm -hmm. if anybody asks, I was here for 40 minutes Mm -hmm. when he was actually only there for 15 or 20 minutes. That's what she testified to in the trial. But, um, yeah, so this murder happened. And um, Paul was, uh, you know shot in the chest that was not the fatal shot and then there was another shot that went through his neck and into his head and maggie was shot from several different angles and several different ways because it looked like she was running away well i thought she was running towards paul oh like she heard the because that's that was the closing argument of the prosecutor talking about how she was running towards her baby because she heard the shot And she started running towards him. Mm -hmm. And then it looked like someone was trying to stop her and just started because she was shot like the like the shooter circled around her. Mm. She was shot from several different angles, you know, multiple times. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so then Alex claims that uh, when he got back from visiting his parents, you know, he shows up and finds their dead bodies there. Yeah. And then he uh, calls the police at 1020 and reports the shooting. But yes, I don't know what happened. You know, I didn't follow the uh, I didn't follow the trial on television. Just saw snippets and clips and stuff. Apparently, because this trial was um, not one on forensic evidence because there very there wasn't a little forensic, but it was really one on cell phone uh, cell phones and yeah. technology and what his on star showed and right. what you know what's what's the happening. snapchat video the snapchat video and also um and the other one being that um i was saying oh shoot just lost my train of thought that it was one on technology hold on i think i just went past on my notes here um that god i just lost my train of thought let's keep going it was one on technology. There's yeah. some, it'll come back to me. Well, but. yeah, because so basically they never recovered. OK, so pa- um, Paul was shot with a shotgun mm-hmm. with a rifle. And apparently rifles leave very little forensic evidence behind. 
Um, but Maggie was shot with a semi-automatic AR-15 AR rifle. type rifle, which of course, you know, the, um, the Murdaws owned, they owned a lot of guns and they owned a gun just like that one. It's some, it's called like a blackout 350 or 330 or something. Anyway, um, they own that type of a gun. They mm-hmm. own lots of guns. No guns were ever confiscated from them. There was no mm-hmm. raid or search or yeah. No, the police left with no guns. Yeah. Um, the blood stuff is it's kind of confusing to me because you know the the clothes that he had on when the police got there were turns out it was not the clothes that he was wearing in uh like some videos that were taken mm-hmm. like within 15 minutes of them being shot although the timeline of the murder is murky too yeah you know, they said it at like nine o'clock but they I, they don't really know exactly what time it was and so yeah it was like they didn't really investigate him yeah they, they, they didn't. didn't they, they kind of looked for those clothes they were never found um they said that he had not not blood splatter but this other um type of um, the high velocity impact yeah. spatter on his t-shirt that he had on when the police showed up. And that's something that I get, I, you get when you shoot a rifle at close range, but he had a different shirt on. Yeah. When and the, apparently when he'd the taken mur- a shower. Yeah. So yeah. He changed his clothes. So what? Yeah. I, I thought it was very weak for, and that's what I kept saying. I wasn't following the trial, watching it every day, but I was keeping up with it. And I kept saying, what is there forensically mm-hmm. to 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 tie him to this other than these imperfect cell phone records? Yeah. Oh, this is what I was going to say. So the the um, apparently this came out in the trial where they now have all of his all of his cell phone records that apparently like after he discovers the bodies that maybe he I don't know if he called the police first but he makes a ton of calls and all of his calls oh, like were, alibi type calls where he no. calls Maggie's phone doesn't he he calls you know what he does he but he calls I think his family he calls all these people he also apparently like looks up a restaurant there was mm-hmm. some like really innocuous things right. there was another one where he's sending someone a text message to the um guy that runs the property saying hey like can you feed the sun- sunflowers they're dying over here like basically to-do list things right. like well, you're waiting for your kid's soccer game to end and you're writing right. you're, you're texting well, he's, a to-do list he's trying to say i wasn't killing anyone i was on the phone <laughs> like doing stuff i, you know, I guess so i yeah. think it was he was trying to create an alibi he because he called maggie's phone mm-hmm. um to show that he was, you know, concerned. He was coming home, trying to tell her whatever. He was making all these... I think that, yeah, that was before that. But afterwards, even after he called the police and the police were there, there and they were figuring out the crime scene, he made a bunch of extra, more innocuous oh, phone calls okay. that were like, what? And then apparently the 15th phone call he made was finally to his son, Buster, saying, hey, Buster, this is what's happened. Oh, gosh. So the thing is, is that, I think that, right, so much of this was one on the fact of how odd, right? If truly you come home and your wife and child are been shot to death. Not by you. Not by by you, but by some stranger or someone else who has a vendetta out for your family. Why aren't you calling your son Buster saying, Buster, get to safety. Where are you? Get here right now or get to a police station or get to somewhere. But Buster's like the 15th call. And that's the thing is, is that there is no rush because you did it. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. you know exactly who did it. And Buster's not in danger because you haven't shot him yet. So, 
Oh, anyway, goodness. we then see, we see Nancy Grace. I just wrote Nancy Grace. Oh. But they did, the police did start looking at the other kids. They started looking at Tony, you know, because he had a pretty good reason for wanting to shoot well, there Paul. Well, there were so many people who... I mean, a this, lot of people wanted to shoot these people. had a lot of enemies. Yes. And, yeah, and, like, um, Alex, his brothers were saying that um, Paul had been receiving a lot of threats over the boating accident. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, who knows? So that basically ends... The first two episodes, right? That's episode two. And then yeah. episode three starts with some... We go back in time to these two other murders <laughs> that are connected to this insane family. Yeah. Where we see the first one is July 8th, 2015. A body is found in the middle of the road, Stephen Smith. And we see this guy, Will Folks, folks who's an investigator, I guess, who was hired by Stephen's family. But apparently Stephen ran out of gas on his way home from somewhere. He started walking down the street. And at first you would think if you saw him in the middle of the street, you would think, oh, he got hit by a car. Because these roads are dark mm-hmm. and, you know, no one's out there. But immediately the police are like, well, no, because he if he was hit struck by a car, he would be not in the middle of the road. He'd be on the side of the road. His body would be in a different position. His shoes would be off his feet. His clothes would be, you know, well, also it would he, look very different. He only had head injuries. He didn't yes, have any too. injury to anything below the neck. Um, like he was dumped there. Yes. And Stephen was high school. He went to high school with all the kids, Miley, Mallory, Morgan. Well, he was Buster's age. Wasn't yeah. he? Well, he said it, maybe he was Buster's age. The connection was well, they to all the went Murtaugh's because the they all went to high time. school. That Buster, that Stephen was really, really smart. Stephen was also gay and out, mm-hmm. which is not in this low country. This is not an easy place to be gay. And But he was out. And that Buster would, um, that, that I guess Stephen would tutor Paul. I mean, uh, sorry, Buster. Buster, Stephen would tutor Buster a lot because as we've all seen, Buster doesn't do very well in school um, and that they had this relationship and that there were these rumors that were kind of going around about Buster and Stephen together that they had a secret relationship. And so they're thinking and this I, I, I don't know if this has ever been corroborated or not, like that that Stephen called maybe he called his family and said hey i ran out of gas and maybe they were like we'll call it i don't call a tow truck or something but then i think it sounds like he called buster and buster's baseball game was ending so buster and a bunch he of his came friends with a bunch of guys yeah and yeah to pick him up and they found steven like down the road from where his car was it's extremely suspicious yeah the and whole thing basically nobody the police never investigated no. it um buster was never interviewed and buster but when you look at all the police records buster's name was all over all this, over, it, all over right. this but the police never never bothered it. yeah never interviewed him it was swept under the rug it was like a Murdoch special and no one gave a crap about this kid oh that's right and then apparently the day steven died randy Murtaugh. so this is the who, brother of the Alex. brother is the second he called the family and offered to take the case free of charge which is really interesting. The they, case against who? Um, basically, because they're solicitors, right? So I think um, Randy Randolph rushes in and says, "Oh, I'll." I think to represent Stephen's family. But there's no criminal case pending. I don't know. This is my notes. 
that that happened. But basically, the same exactly what you're saying, which is a, it's a Murtaugh special. Yeah, they're just someone the comes same in, thing. someone comes in and covers it up. Um, and apparently, there was a story in 2015 around Thanksgiving. Stephen's mom appeals to the community, and the the article anything does everything but name Murtaugh, but no one came forward. Um, and Morgan tells the story of she had around this time, she had just started dating Paul and she asked about the rumors about this thing about, you know, this death of this kid of like, Hey, you know, your name's been linked to this thing. And the family, the whole family, Maggie, dad, Paul, all of them laughed and said, ha ha ha, we would have had anything to do. We wouldn't have had killed that faggot basically. Mm -hmm. And so that tells you that moment in time and Morgan says this. She's like, that was my first red flag. And I that was her first yeah. red flag. Like that was like, <laughs> like there's some other. But and again, I think this F word is probably used a lot, maybe in low country. <laughs> so it's not I mean, here to us, it would be very shocking if anyone said that to our face. But there. But it was just like, oh, Maggie, too. Maggie, the kid. Now you can see this whole family. They have zero regard for human life and they have no. zero regard for other people. No, they don't. Anyway. Yeah, so then the other suspicious death happened. And this in, one really confuses me, but go on, yeah. Okay, so it happened in 2018. So the, the Glorious Satterfield, who was the housekeeper, who also was, I guess, you know, a caregiver to the boys, very close with Paul. Um, so apparently this, uh, just a couple of months before this incident happened, um, Alex took out a pretty big insurance policy on the property at Moselle. And then a few months later, she mysteriously falls down the stairs, mm -hmm. hits her head, you know, gets like, you know, a brain bleed and, you know, ends up passing away Two days from later. the head injury. Well, the other thing was that, you know, Gloria found drugs under the bed right. shortly before that. And she was very, very worried that that would get her in trouble. Like Maggie, Miss Maggie would think that she was snooping or like, or, you know, so she was very nervous. Well, did she, how did they know she found the drugs? Who did she tell? Morgan talked about it. So I get the sense that maybe she, maybe she told Paul. I don't know. Cause Morgan then gets into the fact that they, everyone seemed to know that Alec had a problem with opiates and that there were times that she saw Alex detoxing, detoxing from opiates, which is mm -hmm. a rough, if you don't have Suboxone, it's a rough de detox. So she talked about that again, Morgan, another red flag, but there was, and, and it's funny because they don't mention that insurance policy in the Netflix doc, but they do mention the, her finding the drugs. But now this makes, thank you. This makes a lot mm -hmm. more sense to me now that I've heard about the insurance policy. Cause yeah. I was really unclear about why her, I was like, did Maggie push her? Because the thing is, they blame the dogs that apparently she was walking up these brick steps to the house. The dogs get underneath the dogs her, tripped her. The dogs tripped her and she falls back and hits her head. Um, well, but apparently it, the dogs weren't anywhere near there. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, this could, and this this was at this time when Paul was having severe financial problems. And it, it might be Alex. Sorry, Alex. It might even been after he was fired from the law firm. See, that's the other part. So in this Netflix doc, they don't talk about the these financial crimes that he had. And I and I, I was trying to figure out what the timeline was for yeah. when 
obviously he had some little scheme. Maybe he thought he was going to kill Gloria. Maybe he thought he was going to kill someone else on the property, but he was going to make sure that someone died on his property. Yeah. In 2018. Yeah. And he got um, like $4 million. 4.3, which is crazy. Yeah. $4.3 million. And of course he comes in, he tells her, her family, oh, don't worry about it. I'm going to sue myself. I'm going to get this homeowner's mm-hmm. insurance and I'm going to, you know, give you money and set you up and whatever. Never. I mean, he got the money. Yeah. But he got it for but himself. But he, he never told them Never anything. told them about it. And they never got a penny nope. of it. Um, Super horrible. So, yeah, if that was 2018 and 2019 was the boating accident. And, yeah, so somewhere in here, the law firm... Um, Fired him because they found out about his the embezzlement. Financial but w- what crimes. year was that, though? What year did he get fired? I don't know. That's a good question. But I have this note right after they were talking about these two murders. I have a note here about the law firm. No. Oh. Well, but the other him. thing was, was that what was interesting is Alex lies again about this because apparently this. P- so the family, um, there's this PI trying to investigate this, this murder as well. And which p- murder? of miss gloria okay so the pi talks to the caretaker who is there at the property that day and um he's the one that gets a call from maggie saying gloria fell come come down here oh my Mm -hmm. god but apparently alex says that he that he spoke to gloria so after she fell when she was like in and out of consciousness she's on the ground alex claims that he talked to Gloria and she said, the dogs tripped me. Oh, please. So he claims that, but Alex was never there. Right. He was never there, but he told the police he was. Yeah. And he had this little conversation with yeah. her. But yeah, I mean, that's just a big lie. Well, and- so, But hold on. Then this isn't this part of where everything starts to fall apart, because then I have. See, I think I think the murder of you're right that it was June 7th, because on June 22nd, that same year of 2021, that's when they open up Stephen's death, that case again. Mm-hmm. And this was like, then the all the financial stuff was happening too. And that's when things started to shatter, right? Like everything, because after the deaths of Maggie and Paul, everything started coming out. Like all the skeletons started coming mm-hmm. out, right? Well, and mind you, he still hasn't been charged, you know? So, sept- okay, so... So, yeah, September- I, think, I think it was June of 2021 he was forced to resign. That's what it says. That's what I have, too, here in my notes. Okay, well, that's the same time as yeah. the murder. Okay. And then in September of 21, that's when he's shot in the head while allegedly changing a tire. And he he tried to say it was a suicide attempt he, that he hired someone so that Buster could get a life insurance policy on his life. And he said that he asked his drug dealer to shoot him. And uh, this, this drug dealer, this guy, Curtis Smith, he denies. Um, he said that Alex called him out there to come out and stage a struggle with the gun. Now he had paid, Alex had paid this guy, Curtis Smith, like $160,000. They called him in the ledger. They called him cousin Eddie. It's like C E Smith. Uh-huh. And they showed all these payments. It was supposedly his drug dealer. And then there was a guy who said that, you know, even if he had the worst uh, pill addiction ever, yeah. like $160,000, that's enough pills for 14 years. No, 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 no. 114 years. If, 
114 years? I thought he said 114 years. $160,000 worth of opiates? I thought he said 114 years. All right, well, I, have to go I back don't and know. I don't know how much years. this costs or how many pills. But this is a, tr- a this. Th- there's you the can't, point you is can't take an, you, can't you can't take all these pills. No, you just can't. I think this whole opioid addiction was a farce. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, I, think, I think he was really addicted, but I think that was I think that was all the money that he stole. I think some of it went to the pills, but I yeah. think a lot of it went to other things. Yeah, no, it did, and um, we'll get more into that later. But some theories that people have. But yeah, so he so then Alex is trying to make this guy, Eddie, look like a suspect in both incidents. Yeah. Well, I think, right. The whole idea was it was a setup that that basically if it all had worked out properly, it would look like this guy would that it would look like um, this Eddie guy killed Paul, Maggie, and then tried to kill Alex. And Mm -hmm. then Alex trying to save his life would kill him and then that way he would be Mm -hmm. a dead man so he couldn't talk and so he can then go see this is the real murderer he killed all these people and he hurt me and here i go yeah and this thing about the suicide attempt i think that was just no something he made up he's too much of a narcissist no he's he's too much of a crazy person to commit suicide he made that up after this all like went went to make it look good so then finally something starts happening after this the police yeah. can no longer ignore yes. how fucking insane this is and so they start to actually suspect him they get a search warrant and this was very confusing to me at first they said they took eight guns from moselle but then buster and john martin were there and they, marvin yeah marvin, they, they also there. took out some guns because they got that youtuber guy who was like because he heard that he heard through the grapevine like oh they're going to be finally the police are going to go and serve the search warrant and search this property mm-hmm. so he's like well i can't get out there and when he got out there he's like oh no one's here maybe i missed it and he's like well i'm gonna put my drone up there mm-hmm. and so he has all this drone footage of no police just buster and John Marvin loading up a bunch of guns and a bunch of other stuff. So then the police came after that when Maybe. all the bad guns were gone. Yes, I think so. Because because the guy was like, wait, he thought he missed the raid. Right. He mi- thought he missed it because no one was there. So it was almost like they had the search warrant. Maybe they told Buster and John like, hey, the search warrant's supposed to be happening here. Yeah. We'll, we'll come in an hour later or something. You guys get your stuff and go. It was well, so suspicious. The police don't even have the guns. They don't yeah. even get the, the guns. They don't find a gun to connect it. So, But at least they finally have started to suspect him and things start to Things start to move. move. But it's so interesting, too, because other things, like as this is going, like the coroner, apparently Gloria Satterfield, she never had an autopsy. An right. autopsy was never done. And, um, so, you know, they start looking into that. They start looking into Stephen Smith. I I really hope that there is a resolution for this Gloria and for Stephen Smith. I mean, and I, and I really, do the Murtaugh's have any money, but I really, truly hope that this, these families were going to say, where are they going to go? Mallory's family, all of these families. And I hope they all have to just fucking sit around and get nine to five nine to 10 o'clock at night jobs where they have to make, you know, minimum wage. Well, somebody just uh, uh, purchased Moselle, like a, like a neighbor, someone who has a neighboring property Uh just purchased it for $4 million 
And, um, but he probably has so many liabilities and debts that like, you know, there's not going to be anything left over. But where did all that money go? So did all of that money go? Well, you have your theories, well, but yeah, let's, anyway, we, sorry, I just keep believing Well, this. here's an interesting little fact okay. about Moselle. And this ties into maybe where some of this money went. So he bought Moselle in 2013 for $5. Wow. From the wife of a client who was a major drug smuggler. Mm. And then mysteriously, all the charges against this guy were dismissed um, after a government witness was mysteriously struck and killed by a car. Wow. So um, there's a theory that this money was drug smuggling money. And it was because the property that the Murdoch's owned, I was talking about, you know, this property they have on the river. Um, it's perfect geographically for drug cartels for mm-hmm. access. Um, and he, th- this, this property that he owned in Buford County was a perfect kind of lookout mm-hmm. spot for, you know, for drug cartels, bringing this stuff in through the low country, you know, before yeah. it gets onto the, the mainland. So that's, that's a theory. Um, anyway, I forget yeah. where we were. Uh, well, it's just we're towards the end of the the Netflix show where we see because obviously this Netflix thing was uh, completed before uh, everything that's happened. But the end of the show, we see um, he's finally he's actually arrested, well, yeah, they not s- for not for these murders, but he was first arrested for through by sled the investigation of stealing Gloria's son's money. I think that was oh. what got him arrested the first time he. 1019 2021 he gets he gets arrested on that and then that's four months after the murders and then he the judge actually denies him bond which was huge then we see that same month buster and john are at a casino in vegas i don't know why that was happening why we needed to know that but a year later all the forensic evidence is released and then the coroner was able to say that they believe that paul and maggie were killed at 9 p.m um, Alex says he didn't get to Moselle until 10. And then this is that whole high velocity impact spatter that mm. was found on his clothes. Which so places puts him, him at, in the vicinity of where the murders happened. Yeah. And then also there's the infamous video from Paul's phone at 8.44 p.m., which where everyone swears that's Alex and they can hear him talking in the background. And there was another Snapchat video, which I think was a little bit before this, where they show Alex... Um, he's like pushing a tree down or he's like messing with a tree. There's like oh. this like newly planted tree and Paul's taking this video and that's where you see the clothes, what clothes he has on. Uh-huh. He kind of has like a light blue polo shirt and like some khaki pants. And, and that was right before I think the dog video where mm-hmm. you hear his voice. I think that might've come out later. Anyway, yeah, we yeah. have that. So that just shows that it doesn't necess- it doesn't prove that he killed them, but it does prove that number one he was lying and it also proves that he was there and it proves that he does know who killed them. I mean, well, there is that. Well, well maybe it doesn't prove back that. Up okay, here. okay. Okay, so th- this the Snapchat video is at 8:44. Okay. The the prosecution is placing the time of death at 9 p.m. That's not precise. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's like wiggle room in there. When you're talking about something that's happening so quickly, you know, a couple of minutes 
can make a difference. So, you know, and and I'm not like defending him. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah, no. And 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 the defense really they really attacked a lot of this because basically the only evidence the that the prosecution has is this timeline mm-hmm. that's made up of you know Snapchat videos, uh, GPS data, cell phone data, whatever. Well, and but they also have him lying about. I mean, basically, but the guy lies about everything. Yeah, but they also have they also have a witness. They have the caretaker of his parents who he told right. to say, I've been here 40 minutes. And she's like, no, right. you've been here 20. And then they have evidence to back up her claims. Right. So I'm just saying this is not beyond a reasonable yes, doubt. No, it's true. And the thing is, is that, you know, in a minute, we'll talk about what the jurors um, said. And the jurors really hung their hat on the Snapchat video. Mm-hmm. Like that was it for them. Yeah. And the fact that he lied about it was it for them. This guy lies about everything. That yes. doesn't mean he's a murderer. Yes, that is true. You know? That so, is true. Anyway. Well, anyway, well, let's get into that in a second. So the the we see at the end that um July 20th, 2022, he faces he we see him in court, he faces two counts of murder, he pleads not guilty. And then at the very end of the series, we check in with all the kids. It looks like Miley and Connor are still together after all these years. They seem like they're together. Tony, you know, has really poor guy, really struggled. Um and feels like it seems like he's back on track and Morgan is healing herself and very she says that Mallory saved me because I would have been in this and and maybe she would have been sitting right next to Paul she might be dead if she had stayed with Paul because it was such a destructive relationship Mm -hmm. and the final thing is they're exhuming the body of Gloria so hopefully those kids in that family can get some justice or peace or something and I hope they get some money because god Two million for both of those kids, that would have changed their lives. That would have been, you know, huge. And he just steals it. Just yeah. like steals it. It's just, it. It's just so shitty. It's a total thief. Ugh. Anyway, tell me what well, you found. You know, a lot of his and also too, a lot, there's been a lot of discussion about this whole case about motive, you know, and mm-hmm. why did he do yes, this? I, I want to know what what do you think the motive is? Well, okay, first I want to say that the prosecution's not required to show motive. Yes. They usually try to because it has to make sense to a jury because people... We need to know. People need to have a story. You know, they need to understand. But technically, you don't have to show motive. So at trial, the motive that the prosecution used was the evidence of these financial crimes. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that's going to be argued on appeal is that it was improper for the judge to admit all of these evidence of the financial crimes because they're basically trying to use character to show conduct. Mm -hmm. So like if you've lied in the past or you've done bad things in the past, then that means you're doing bad things now. I mean, that's the inference people. Mm -hmm. And so they try to not let stuff like that in, but they're, are exceptions where you can use past bad acts or crimes to prove that you committed a new crime, or excuse me, you can't use past bad actions or crimes to prove you committed this crime, except to prove a specific motive, a common plan, or absence of mistake or an accident. So, you know, so they claim that this is a this is motive driven, that Mm -hmm. the motive to kill his wife and son was because he was his financial world was crumbling. I still don't see that. Yeah. Well, why kill Paul? 
I can see. So obviously we see this all the time. If you watch enough Dateline NBC, you know that people kill spouses all the time for very small reasons, for insurance policies, Mm -hmm. because they hate them, because of this, because of that, right? So I can see the Maggie, I can see that part, the financial part, if she's hiring a forensic accountant, if she's digging into things, if she's she's getting close and you want to stop her, why Paul? Yeah, well, just to go back to Maggie, everything was in her name. What? Yes. Oh. Because uh, Alex was so shady, mm-hmm. like all their properties... Like everything was in her name. And I don't, I don't know if South Carolina is a community property state. Probably not. Um, everything was in her name. So if she dies, everything goes to him. Mm. And yeah, and they were probably, he, they probably were headed for divorce. Mm -hmm. Cause apparently he cheated on her a lot. That hasn't been talked about as much, but apparently he cheated on her a lot. But I wouldn't doubt it. And yeah. And so she'd been to a lawyer so yeah, that is a finance, that's a total financial thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, why kill Paul? But some people have said that like if Paul, well, first of all, Paul had criminal charges and civil, he had the wrongful death case. Yes, yes. The, uh, Mallory's family brought a wrongful death case. So if he would have lived and he would have had to face criminal charges and then the wrongful death case, I mean, he could have gotten a big judgment against him, but he was an adult. Yeah. Like, um, Alex wouldn't have been liable for that. Mm-hmm. So really, yeah, there was no reason. I mean, he, he talked about how Alex talked about how he was going to spend the rest of his life, you know, clearing Paul's name over mm-hmm. this boat accident thing. And it's like, well, that's stupid. Oh, like, yeah, it's you been know, proven, buddy. It's, it, yeah. So there's really no financial link to that. And I feel like all this guy really cared about was money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Paul was not really a financial liability on, mm-hmm. on him. His wife was. Yeah. Well, so I've heard some different theories about the Paul stuff. I think one theory is that Paul brought shame to the family, mm-hmm. right? I mean, even Buster, your superstar, is a plagiarist. So, I mean, I don't think, I don't know why Paul is the horrible one, but Paul's well, done yeah, a lot Paul's worse. not the only one who's brought shame yeah. to the family. You know, but, it, but that would be one piece of like that this, you know, if Paul's gone, that maybe it erases the Mallory situation and maybe people wouldn't pay attention to them or whatever it is. It kind of, it's one way to take care of that. Another theory that I've heard is that he killed Paul to save him from going to prison. One thing that a lot of, I've heard people say like, oh, but he wouldn't, he's like 5'8 and 160 pounds. He wouldn't do well in prison and blah, blah, blah. And it's a he's little bit, rich. Uh, yeah. That's my other thing. People he can always, put money on other people's yeah, books. That's just like, gonna just say. like Alex was doing. Yeah. He was calling up saying, can you put some yeah. money on this guy's canteen? Yes. That's so, how you survive. Yeah. So that was my other thing. I said, everyone's like, oh, he'd be someone's girlfriend. I'm like, well, hold on a second. You know, like, yeah, he's young and delicate features, but y- you know, yeah, he would go in there and he would figure out who do I need to, how many soups do you need? How many right, top exactly. ramens do you need? Right. And he would just <laughs> top ramen for everybody. Yeah. Everybody, you know, he's wealthy. So he, they, he's a cash cow. They need him alive and well right. and, and working for them. So it's not an automatic that he would be quote unquote in trouble in prison. Also, you know? people have been watching too many prison movies. I know. It doesn't it's, it's, really work. It's, 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 listen, it ha- it's there. It happens. It happens. But... We know it happens. It's real. 
But it's also, it's not sort of like what we see in movies where the, the minute someone walks right. through the door, <laughs> you're done for. It's a little, it's a, it's a little bit longer. It's more subtle. It's, it's a lot of other things. And if you are wealthy and you can keep people in soups and top ramens and stamps and, and like and lawyers, lawyers, get phone lawyers cards, them. Yeah. other things, then you, you will be fine. You will make people happy. Yeah. You That's know. what I always say. If I ever have to go to, to person, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to walk in there and I'm going to go up to like the person who's the head bitch in charge and be like, I'll do all your appeals. Yes. I'll do all your girlfriend's <laughs> appeals. Yes. Just, just let me know whatever you want. Just, yeah. you know, take care. Of I me. would be everybody's therapist <laughs> and I would do free therapy. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, but again, I think that's always what's always interesting. Female prisons and female prisoners and male prisons and male prisoners so different. Mm-hmm. Like women, you know, it's like, I always feel like if I went to prison, I'm like, I think I'd meet a really nice lady. I think she would treat me really nicely. And I think we would have a lovely life together. Do you know what I mean? I well, they're like, very into building families. Yes. In women's I, prisons, they have families yes. and they call, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a father. Yeah. And then there's like mothers, probably like multiple. And then there's like daughters. I mean, and they each have their own roles. Yes. And it's a whole I, system. I think I would find a nice group of people and a nice family <laughs> to be with. Women are so different in that way. I mean, obviously there's obviously very violent women and, and crazy women in prison, but like, it's so different than how men are yeah. and how they are when they're captured together and how their relationships are. Like women are like, come on in. You know? Right. The men are very territorial. Yeah. And, and it's much more about control and power. Right. And women want power, but it's much more about like creating something. So I always felt like I'd meet someone nice and <laughs> she and I, we have a good life together. Oh, and God. Well, let's hope we never find yes, out. Yes. Yes. But let's I just hope it doesn't come to yeah, that. I, I don't I, universe. I don't want that. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'd figure out how to cope. Uh, okay. All right. Tell us what so, the jurors. I've heard see. a little bit from the jurors. Yes. Okay. So a couple jurors have come out to say some things. So there's one juror who's 22 years old, and he didn't give a, a recorded interview. It was a written interview, but there's a picture of him, and he has hard to explain. He has a, a necktie. That's kind of like a constitution theme. <laughs> oh, God. It has like some uh, flag type oh, things, but God. then it has, you know how they have the, you know, the the picture of the constitution written in mm-hmm. the long hand. There's like a part of that on there on some old timey like paper. Uh, it was it was interesting. Yeah. Something you'd see it like, you know, some a Republican convention. Yes, or something. yes. But um, anyway, he said that, you know, the initial vote was nine to three. Okay, so nine guilty, three not guilty. Another uh, juror actually said that of the three, two were straight out not guilties. Mm. And one was a maybe undecided. So this 22-year-old, he said that the video of Alex at the scene, you know, meaning the one where you can hear his voice, we know that Mm -hmm. Paul took with the dog, um, did it for them. and but then here we get into the emotions of people. This is really scary. He says the fact that Paul knew to film Cash, Cash is the dog, to, in order to put Alex at the scene, Paul was speaking to them oh, as God. someone who couldn't speak for himself, but he wanted to be a witness. And he said all the jurors really connected to Paul. And he he especially connected to Paul because he's 22, the same age as Paul when he died. So he felt connected to him. (sighs) 
Oh, Lordy. I know. This is why I, I recently had jury duty and I went there and then the case got dismissed. So I, I got to leave pretty quickly. But you just look around and you're just like, I so this is not a group of my peers. I do not want this guy with the Constitution <laughs> thing no. deciding my life. Like, no. And, and listen, do I think Alex did it? Yes. Do I think these people are awful and he needs to spend the rest of his life in prison? Yes. But I'm with you. They're really, I don't know if it's beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah. I, I don't know. You're right. And if the, I thought, because this is what I read, and I think it was the same guy, I just didn't see him with this tie. I thought that what it was, was they all determined that that is his voice. He is there. And that combined with all of the lies and all of the things that he told us was enough circumstantial evidence I didn't think it was yeah. that he was speaking through him. That's crazy making. Right. No, and that's the thing that the, the level of evidence that they required to convict this guy yeah. to me seems low. Yeah. And if that's and, and if that's what they hung their hat on, because mm-hmm. there was there, there was I think a, they've got a good appeal. Right. I mean, ey. well, it's Ugh. very hard with the jury. You know, you can't second guess the jurors. Uh, only if there's jury misconduct of some sort, Mm -hmm. you know, if that's the problem is that if a juror thinks something, that's what they think. If that's what they deduced from this entire trial, Mm -hmm. then, okay, it's, it's extremely hard to overturn any um, conviction or verdict or anything on like lack of evidence or Mm -hmm. not non in civil law. It's like, um, you know, there's not substantial evidence is the standard. And, and it's hard yeah, because they trust the trier of fact, whether it's a jury or a judge. I mean, um, and sorry, was it was the uh, trial in Hampton County? No, it was in, I think, a neighboring county, Cozell County. OK, so, yeah, I figured as much they had to leave that county and get away from all of that. Well, yeah, I don't know why it was in the other county or maybe it was in Hampton County. I kind of feel like it was in, but it was literally just like the neighboring. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to stop talking because I'm not really sure. Huh. Okay. I'm not really sure, but it wasn't far if it was a different county. Yes. Um, every, I'm sure they still knew. Um, yeah. And this juror also said that um, visiting the murder scene helped prove the prosecution's. Um, wait. I don't know what this, anyway, it was ironic because it was the defense attorney who asked if the jurors could go see mm-hmm. Moselle and go see the scene. And it back, kind of backfired on him because yeah. um, the uh, jurors thought it helped them. So, oh, and he also said that the um, prosecution motive was not persuasive. The whole financial issue thing, they were not persuaded by that. Oh, they didn't think that was a reason why he no, did it. They but just, they still think he did it. Right. Okay. They just th- they just thought that this was something bad happened and he did it. And he said, people do things that don't make sense. <laughs> These people. Okay. Well, and I also was, I was listening. This is, we should probably wrap up in a minute. All right. Long, I have one but, other. I have one but, other. Hold on real juror. quick. So. So um, the other thing is people were talking about how Alec Murtaugh on just for him to take the stand is huge. Right. Mm-hmm. Usually defense attorneys don't want their clients to take the stand and that it was that it, things were so bad that he had to take the stand. Um, and 
and and admit to lying and all of the financial crimes. Like, but he didn't have to. He didn't have to, but he did. But why? But yeah. So that's my question to you because I kept hearing people say, "Oh my God, he's go- he's taking the stand," which means that the defense doesn't have much of anything. No. So do you think no, that, no, that no, was no, a I bad? Disagree. So you think as defense counsel, you should have you you would have been like, Alec, shut up, well, and sit down. Here's the thing: if your client is intent on testifying. That's their right. Yeah. And you can try to talk to them out of it till you're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, if they insist, you have no choice. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you these these lawyers said, don't do it. OK. OK. I mean, if they if they didn't, that's crazy, because if he doesn't testify, it all hangs on reasonable doubt. And I'm not saying it would have made necessarily made a difference in the outcome of this case. Mm-hmm. But that's the whole point of our legal system is that the burden is on the prosecution yes. to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And when you start opening your mouth and you start opening as the defense, as, as the defendant, when you start talking, you're opening doors. Because mm-hmm. there's all these rules about things that can't be discussed until the defendant brings it up. And all you're doing is hurting your case. Yeah. Because I'm sorry, whether you're talking to the police or you're on trial or a jury, you cannot talk your way out of stuff. When was the last time someone... Uh, testified on their own behalf and was acquitted. You know, I mean, it. it I'm, tr- I'm trying to even think. It just, it doesn't happen that much. It, mm-hmm. it, it just seems to, there's times where you have to, if you're claiming self-defense, because mm-hmm. that's an affirmative defense, you mm-hmm. have to testify. But just make the prosecutors prove it. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. That's a hard enough job for them to do it. And so I, I don't, I don't, it was, it was terrible for him and he didn't have to get up there and admit anything. Yeah. He didn't have to get up there and admit, talk about the financial stuff. He didn't have to talk about any of it and they could have just left it out there. But no, now that clearly it influenced the jurors. If the, if the juror is sitting here saying mm-hmm. that, you know, well, he lied, he got up and he lied. That's not helpful. Yeah. Um, but anyway, okay, so then there was another juror who, and he was the one who clarified that two people at the outset were not guilty. One was unsure. And this is what amazes me. They flipped these three people in 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And that surprised me too, because I was under the impression when it came back so quickly, I was like, okay, they must have been, they must have been pretty close to unanimous and they wanted lunch. <laughs> and they right. wanted to kibitz a little and make sure that they did that. But the fact that they flipped two people from not guilty three to guilty, well, well, it was people. one undecided. Well, so that's still... Okay, but three, yeah. three people in 45 minutes, what do you think... How? How do you do that? I don't know. I mean, you know, jury dynamics are interesting because, you know, it's it's not just the individual jurors. Mm-hmm. It's how people can be influenced by other yeah. people and you get certain personalities that can be very aggressive. And a lot of people will just change because they feel intimidated or yeah or they or someone says something to the effect of which is what people do all the time when they manipulate them which is like oh we've been here so long yeah you know i want to get home to my children and we're here and come on can't you just see they're terrible yeah. people it's nine right? it's nine to three you know, you know yeah we we're know gonna... right yeah and oh my gosh yeah the and this guy was actually being interviewed and the person interviewing was saying well how like, how did you, you know, make this, um, how did you come to this conclusion so quickly? And he was like, well, you know, all of our deliberating. 
all 45 minutes all 45 of it. minutes of it and he also said that alex's voice on the video at the crime scene was the clincher and he said he also didn't see any remorse or compassion from murda on the stand and that he didn't see any tears yeah which we all saw him on the scene he was blubbering and I mean, I thought he was crying. Anyway, it just goes to show you, like... The jury system is such a F system. It really... I'm sorry. This has to be... I understand the thought process behind it, but I've thought I've thought this for a while, that the jury stuff doesn't work, that every time I get called for jury duty, it's it feels like it's just this thing of people trying to figure out, what do I need to say to get out of this? Nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to be there. And, and the, I've been there where there's been a few people, one person who got their green cards, they're like, I'm so happy to be here. You know, this is why I came to this country. And <laughs> Well, let, please but, but, get on the jury. But the thing is, is Take my people, place. people like myself, is I'm a good example where I cannot claim financial hardship. But it is, for me to get on a jury, it is financial hardship. It is hard. a financial hardship. Is You're going to be there for several weeks. Yeah, if I'm there several weeks, that either means that I lose several weeks worth of income, which would hit me hard, which wouldn't be good, or I would be at the jury all day seeing clients all night for weeks, and that would be too much. So the minute I get those summons, I'm thinking about, and it's not hard for me to get out of juries I have many times because all I need to do is tell them that my father and sister are attorneys. I just kind of throw stuff out and make them seem like I know mm-hmm. too much and I'm an asshole. So I'm just like, but the thing is, is that the problem is, is that I think I would make a good juror. I think I would be good there. The problem is, is that financially I can't do it. So I'm instantly sort of like, this is a burden. Yeah, you're to on me. the defensive. And and so it's not like my husband who has a, a, you know, a company that will pay for him to be gone for a week or two. Yeah. I can't. So if you're self-employed, it's it not, sucks. And, and it's not fair. Well, and here's so, a trick. Okay. So like, this is what uh, our dad always uses as an excuse. Um, Cause he gets called for jury duty. All it lives in mm-hmm. a small town. Gets called for jury duty all the time. And he he says it would be a hardship for my clients. Mm. So you know, Ooh, to, I got to do that. So you take it. For my it would be a hardship for your clients. Take it off of yourself and put it on my put clients. It on the clients. That's that's interesting. But it, it used to be when I first got called for jury duty when I was like twenty two. Um, the first case I was on, which was a child molestation case, by the way. Mm. Um, they at that time you could claim hardship, and I didn't for some reason. I just I didn't. I didn't but. Then you could, but now really to claim hardship, you really have to they show that your down. whole yeah. life was going to fall apart. And I'm like, well, no, my whole life's not going to fall apart, but yeah, I'd have to dip into savings or do this or borrow money from somewhere. I don't really want to borrow money from, and that is a hardship or I'd have to figure it out. It would really do me in. And I, and I wouldn't be happy to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think this is part of the system is, is that People who have to be on these, you know, the O.J. Simpson's a great example. People have to be on these trials for a long, long time. I understand being sequestered. I understand the process of it, but it really makes it very hard. And so by the time you get to deliberations, I think these people just want to make a decision and go. And so, yeah, and it's not your life. It's not your family. It's not any of that. So it's very easy to just be like, okay. Well, yeah, and this whole thing about deliberating, you know, you're supposed to go through all the evidence Mm -hmm. and discuss it and weigh the evidence, whatever. But, you know, people... They're, they're not going to do that because they've already decided yeah. what they feel about the evidence by the time they get in there. And so they really don't deliberate. And so I think what it comes down to is that it's like trying if it's a criminal case and someone's holding out, you got to however long it takes to, you know, flip those people mm-hmm. 
or even if it's even in a civil case, you have to have in California, you have to have nine out of three. So then it becomes a numbers game and, Mm -hmm. you know, the dynamic of the jury and who can convince who. But I, I would venture to say that, that there's not a lot of actual deliberating going on in most cases. Some, Mm -hmm. some juries do not saying all, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a weird system. And I just feel like these people thought, well, look, this guy, he's done so many fucked yeah. up things. This is a horrible family. Mm-hmm. And also, they probably just wanted to get rid of this family. Yeah, they wanted yeah. to get him off the streets. Yes. They wanted to, you know, cut off their legs so that these people could not terrorize Hampton County <laughs> in the low country anymore. You know, yeah. it was just like, let's get rid of these people. Yeah, because if, if you didn't kill these two people, trust me, you've killed someone else. Right. You've done it something else. So, yeah, they're, they're not a sympathetic uh, So, yeah, and I'll be honest, if I was on that jury and I, I saw all that and reasonable doubt i think it's very easy to what you're saying go to that leap to that place of being like i don't know if this is reasonable doubt but i'm pretty sure he did it and he did all these other things let's Mm -hmm. just lump it all together yeah anyway we should wrap this up this is almost an hour and a half oh wow i know this was this was quite a a a case quite a trial and Um, i'm I'm sure we are like the last people to cover it I we wait till the very, very, very well, end. Hey, at we least we about. got to talk about it all yeah. at once. We yes, were, we got it all a, done. This is a true wrap up. Yes, from beginning to end. Alec is going to be in prison. He's going to be trading soups. He's going to yeah. be doing God knows what in there. He's hopefully, be working on his appeal. Listen, hopefully, Buster can take can move away from these people, start a new life. I don't know. Maybe come out as gay if he's gay, <laughs> right, Buster? Don't be a lawyer. You don't want to be a lawyer. Come out here to. San Francisco and be gay, <laughs> well, right? Or just live your life. But he Buster. seems to be very close to that uncle. Yes, yes, I he know. seems to be close to both of his uncles. And oh, uh, there was a picture of the Buster and the two uncles walking into the courtroom. They are quite full of themselves. They, they've really got that good old boy yeah. kind of walk All and right. talk. Well, and Buster's mentality. not going to do it. Even I don't if think Buster Buster's going to go far, I don't know. Even if well, Buster, I think has a girlfriend or something, but. I mean, that doesn't well, mean anything. Whatever for, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I hope whomever, I hope a Gloria's children, Miss Gloria's children find, uh, get some money out of this and some peace and Mallory's family and Morgan and Miley and all those kids, Tony, I hope they all find, you know, some peace in all of this and they can move forward. Yeah. Cause this is it's a these, sad story. Cause these kids are 23 years old. Yeah. I mean, that's the other part of it too. They have been through so much you know yeah it's a lot of trauma all right wrap it up brooke okay if you made it this far you are you're a super fan (laughs) thank you and uh we appreciate your support if you like the podcast please subscribe please give us a five star rating and give us a review and we would really appreciate that so until next time all right you guys signing off bye bye 